Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Alandari, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Hope Hickerson, and I'm a health education specialist and reporter. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician... That's me, and a health education expert... That's me. Talk about what you need to know to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. For more information about Noise Filter, your public health podcast, and to watch and share our incredible informative animations, please visit us at noisefiltershow.com. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. So let's get started. Combating Malaria with Monoclonal Antibodies Malaria, a deadly mosquito-borne disease, continues to be a burdensome, life-threatening disease affecting over 241 million people worldwide. In 2020, there was a 12% increase in mortality that led to 627,000 deaths from malaria, with a disproportionate effect on children under age 5 in sub-Saharan Africa. The current malaria vaccine authorized for use by the World Health Organization in 2021, Miscurax, has not proven to be as effective in preventing the contraction of malaria, only offering partial protection with an efficacy of 36.3 after four years. Vaccine efficacy refers to the vaccine's effectiveness and is the percent to which the vaccine is able to reduce the incidence of disease in vaccinated people compared to unvaccinated people. An efficacy of 36.3% is relatively low, indicating that only 36.3% of people who receive Muscurex will be protected from contracting malaria compared to those who do not receive the vaccine. Thus, there is a long-standing public health need to develop better treatment interventions against malaria that offer higher efficacy rates and are safe to use in children under age five. So a new study using monoclonal antibody treatments could be the answer to preventing and treating malaria. Essentially, monoclonal antibodies are lab-generated antibodies that mimic antibodies found in humans, which can find and attack a specific disease or infection within a host. Monoclonal antibody treatments are designed to help the host's own immune system in identifying and killing any foreign invaders, such as disease and infection. Hope, do you remember the monoclonal antibodies for COVID? Mm-hmm. So this is the same thing. So those monoclonal antibodies were designed to get specifically COVID. Right. So you can design these antibodies in a lab. You know, for example, if malaria looked like a triangle, you would design an antibody that was the inverse shape of a triangle so that it would latch itself to the triangle, right? Like if mm-hmm. it were like a, like a fish mouth, you know, it would attach itself. So that's essentially, it's a simplified analogy of how those monoclonal antibodies work. Right. Monoclonal antibodies are not vaccines, meaning they do not provide long-term immunity, but they have been proven to be very effective in combating infectious diseases by providing immediate effects. Yeah, so a new monoclonal antibody treatment against malaria called L9LS has shown promising results. In a phase one human clinical trial, 15 out of the 17 participants, that's 88%, who received just one dose of L9LS were protected from contracting malaria after being exposed to the disease. That's wonderful. 
More importantly, the study found no adverse side effects or safety concerns from the L9-LS treatment. In addition, this treatment is estimated to have a half-life of 56 days, meaning that L9-LS could theoretically be used for sustained protection against contracting malaria. These results demonstrate that monoclonal antibody treatments have the potential to be used as a means to prevent and treat malaria and other infectious diseases. Super exciting stuff. Uh, Just to also let our listeners know, this came from a study from the New England Journal, which is, you know, for all physicians, that's kind of like the go-to journal. And so uh, this is really exciting. Hopefully we'll start seeing the use of monoclonal antibodies for other infectious diseases. We saw how important they were during COVID. Hopefully Mm -hmm. we see it during malaria and we'll start seeing it for other disease processes as well. Rates of diabetes in U.S. youth are on the rise. Diabetes in children and teens is typically associated with type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune disorder resulting in an inability to make insulin. But now, type 2 diabetes, historically known as adult-onset diabetes, is on the rise amongst young people, according to the National Institutes for Health. Rates of type 1 and type 2 diabetes have increased significantly from 2001 to 2017 in people younger than 20 years old. In this time frame, almost 15,000 youths were newly diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and almost 4,000 with type 2 di- diabetes. What's interesting is that the rate of increase varied among racial ethnic minority groups with type 1, but not with type 2. So the CDC noticed steeper increases amongst these minority groups in the incidence of type 1 diabetes, but the incidence of type 2 diabetes increased at a more constant rate. This increase can be leaked to obesity, which is currently an epidemic in pediatrics and in another growing trend amongst minority youth. Children's Hospital Colorado has noticed an alarming increase in type 2 diabetes patients. Individual institutions have reported anywhere from a 50 to 300% increase in new type 2 diagnosis in a one-year period. This increase is particularly concerning because type 2 diabetes in young people is more challenging to manage adult onset disease. There are many possible explanations for these increases, such as quarantine from COVID-19 pandemic causing more stress and weight gain due to the lack of physical activity and more access to food. A major concern with the rising cases is the possibility that the coronavirus may interfere with insulin production. Unfortunately, young patients also develop complications from diabetes much sooner than one might expect with the possibility of insulin production not meeting the new number of cases. Patients with diabetes could be further at risk. There's a couple of things in that story I didn't know. I didn't know about coronavirus interfering with insulin production. Yep. We saw a lot of diabetes and a lot of new diagnoses of diabetes when people had COVID. Okay. Okay. Wow. Mm. And then there's a possibility of insulin production not meeting the number of new cases. That means the production of synthetic insulin. The idea is that we're seeing more cases of diabetes that require insulin. That's going to mean that there's going to need to increase the manufacturing of insulin. Mm -hmm. I think this was kind of more of a theoretical there could be a potential mismatch. Essentially, we have more cases of of diabetes than there is. I, I'm less worried about that because mm-hmm. capital is going to do what capital does. They're going to match that that need because that's where the money is. I mean, you saw one of the recent bills. One of the things they pulled out was capping the amount that somebody pays for insulin a month. Mm-hmm. They pulled that out, Hope, 
I don't remember the exact number. I think, I think, I think it may have been $30 or $50 a month that you would pay on insulin. And they pulled that out. Oh gosh, I missed that. Are you serious? Yes. It was placed in there because that was the right thing to do because people should not be trying to figure out whether or not they should pay rent or or pay for insulin or what kind of food they're going to put on the table for their children, you know, or what kind of medicines they're going to take today so they can get their meds to stretch out so they could pay for their insulin. No, it was just, it's the right thing to do. They took it out to protect the insurance companies. That's what I'm saying. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. This is America, baby. (laughs) The business of America is business. That is so, oh God. Especially when it comes to healthcare. I know it's super sad, isn't it? It's so sad. It really is. My goodness. Yeah. We'll continue to follow this story. Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Noise Filter podcast. Follow us on social media and leave us a review letting us know your favorite part of the show. You can find me, Hope Pickerson, at hopepickerson.com. And you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at the Dr. Derry. That's D R D E R Y. To see and share our amazing animations and find out more information about us, the show, as well as links to our social media, go to noisefuzzleshow.com. We are grateful to our sponsors, including Access Health Louisiana and the End the Epidemic Initiative, who are working to bring equitable health outcomes to everyone they serve. Hope, any last words? Stay well out there, folks, and continue taking steps to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. That includes exercise, a good diet, getting adequate sleep, and seeing your health care providers regularly. And protect yourself and others by getting the COVID-19 vaccine and booster, wearing a mask, and social distancing wherever possible. Remember, health is a human right. Right.